Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Howdy, folks. Happy Wednesday. Happy hump day. We have uh, many things to discuss and we have Kevin Allen here, uh, but we will start with the pre-show. Go ahead, Russ. So with... Um... I would say a little more than a month to go for pitchers and catchers to report. There is still no negotiation scheduled for Major League Baseball and the Major League and the BPA. And so, again, we've seen this before. Uh, I said June 15th is like a fictitious date, Kev, because I remember in 81, that's around the date that they started, but they probably reported earlier for spring training, whatever they did before that. But right now we hear nothing, but the big talk is still the Hall of Fame. And, there are a lot of younger writers going out of their way now to figure out a way to get Clemens and Bonds into the Hall of Fame, even though they are known steroid users. And again, I'm not going to get into the whole thing of it. But what I find interesting is like they're looking for these two based on the fact of awards that they have won. And again, I'm just going to go back to that Cy Young that Clemens won in Toronto. I thought it was fishy then, but I didn't know anything about steroids. I wasn't thinking about that, but I was just like, wow, this guy almost couldn't pitch when he left Boston. And now all of a sudden he's like 21 and eight for the Blue Jays and wins a Cy Young. And then, you know, later on we find out about his trainer and everything else and all that transpired. So I don't know, Kev, I think it's just, there are some writers that are just willing to turn a blind eye and look at the stats and say, based on the stats, they should get in. Yeah, no, those those issues are so difficult for people. And it, what ends up happening is, is whenever there's a turnover, you see this in everyday life in the, the court system, um, you know, uh, with uh, it, it just depends on who's sitting in the, you know, the seats of authority and power. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have the group that was with the, uh, covering the game at the time when the, those was prevalent. And all of a sudden we've had the changing of the guard and there are a lot of people that just want to look at it, uh, just look at the facts and see the facts uh, differently. So, yeah. And uh, with regard to the CBA, one thing I've learned through the years is, you know, you got to have a deadline. You know, you do. I, I don't care when it comes to negotiations, I don't care what you're negotiating. Until you see the last day that it can happen, it's not going to get done till then. Yeah, and going back, going back to the the Hall of Fame, I mean, I mean, what you were talking about, Russ, is out there, but there were indications out there that I was reading from. I think it was Pete Abraham, who's a Boston Globe writer, who's saying that right now, based on what the, the tally that they have nobody's going to get to 75%. So this is a year where Clemens, Bonds, Schilling, Sosa, they all go to the Veterans Committee. And uh, the, the guys who we think have chances to, like Kent or Roland, they, they you know. And even Ortiz. Or, you know, yeah, yeah, and even Ortiz. Yeah. And that's the, one, that's the one that really irks me, Kev, because we know, you know, it's highly suspected that he's a steroid cheat. But because he's nice and because he's big poppy. Yeah. He's gonna get. Topic, he's gonna get through. Which you know, okay. If you're gonna do that, then do that for A. Rod and Clemens and Bob. They're all in the same group. But 
my point is right now, I, I you know, the Veterans Committee is death for those guys. They will never vote them in. Now, they'll have to wait for, like, the current group of the Veterans Committee to die off and younger people to get in before Probably. they let Bonds and Clemens in. And I'm in favor of that. I think, you know, let them suffer for 20 You're in years. favor of the Veterans Committee dying off? No, no, no. Shut, Shut up. up. I know. I'm kidding. Shut up. Well, he, he, might, he might be. <laughs> 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 what, 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 one other note, um, you know, the, uh, the Bills and New England will play on Saturday night in Buffalo. And uh, the talk is for that game, you know, middle of January, of course, it's going to be like around zero degrees Fahrenheit. Luckily, it won't be a lot very windy because I think you'd have about 75,000 dead people in Orchard Park. But I don't know. Do you consider it like sort of romantic, Kev? I do. Yeah, I I feel bad about it, but I do love the cold and the snowy conditions, and yeah, I do. I, I you know, and I, you know, I, people have said to me, "Are you crazy?" You know, people are going to get frostbite, but I, you know, I think back, and I think it has everything to do with when I was a kid and watching, uh, you know, the frozen tundra and uh, yeah. Lombardi not allowing gloves, the linemen to wear gloves. And, um, you know, it was such a, you know, I, I was so young that to me it just seemed romantic. And then we'd go outside in a freezing cold and, you know, play football in the snow because we, you know, wanted to sort of relive what they went through. I mean, it was just, and, but I do, I like, uh, I like bad conditions for football. I mean, all, all I know is I remember that who uh, was it John Facenda used to the the frozen tundra. Yeah. Yeah. I'll well, tell you, I I went to a game like that, Mike. Like it was um, what was the year that the Bears played New England? 85? 86, 85, 86. 85 or eighty six? I think it was eighty five. Eighty five. Yeah. And so I went to the game, Jets, New England. So Tony Eason against Ken O'Brien. Uh, I want to say it was like ten degrees or less. I wore after ski boots, like a snorkel. And back in those days, you didn't get instant replay at, at the, at the place. So at the, uh, at the field. So I brought a, um, a Sony watchman and I just bought it, got it for the holidays, whatever. And that was new and had like a six, seven inch black and white screen. So I could watch the replays that they would show on local TV. That thing started to freeze around the edges it had frost on it that's how cold it was but i lived through it and like kevin says you it's like a badge of courage yeah no and i i went to some games at tiger stadium in the 60s uh football games that were just you know bitter cold and you know it was it was part of it and uh um and then you, you know you'd uh you'd look to see on monday night if you went to those games on sunday yeah, the the Monday night uh, halftime show because they'd always kind of show if it was cold. You'd see people all huddled up, and you kind of like, well, we we you know, will, will I be on the on the Monday night football because I was all huddled up? Uh, uh, you know, it was so cold, but you know, it was just it was part of it. Um, no doubt about it. Yeah, all I know about fro all, about, all I know about frozen tundra is like you know, like you were saying, Kev, we would go out and we would play you know, touch football on, on, on the frozen grass and getting tackled on that thing was like getting cat tackled on concrete. No, yeah. yeah. You know, no, no touch football. Like I, I never even heard of touch football until uh, 
I mean, we always, when we were kids, you played tackle football. You we know, only played play. touch in the street. Yeah. So no, that's field, different. it was tackle. Yeah, it was always tackle football. And to be honest, all the way through college, we used to get together when we were in college, a bunch of us on Sunday afternoons and play tackle football. I mean, yeah. like we were insane. Like I yeah. now when I think back about it, if someone, you know, if there were a bunch of 20-year-olds who were doing that, I'd say to them, you, you guys were idiots. Oh, yeah. It was you dumb. Know? That was dumb. <laughs> yeah, it was silly what, what we used to do. So, All right. Let's start the show. Uh, Hello, Hockey World. Today is Wednesday, January 12th, 2022. I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. Kevin Allen, Hockey Buzz. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. All right, let's start with the unfolding Evander Kane situation, uh, Kev. Um, right now, based on you know things that have come out from numerous people, it's it seems that the Edmonton Oilers are in the lead for the free agent uh, for forward. Um, there have been some indications that. The, the two Florida teams are interested. I know that we talked to Joe Yerden yesterday and he thought maybe Vegas would be possibly in there because of his low, potential low salary and his friendship with Robin Leonard and Jack Eichel. But everything seems to point to Edmonton. But we just saw a, uh, a series of tweets from Elliot Friedman saying that uh, the NHL has notified teams that they're investigating uh, Kane crossing the border from the U.S. into Canada on December 29th. He tested positive for COVID on the 21st, flew to Vancouver on the 29th, and uh, in the terminated, termination notice from San Jose, it was alleged that he didn't have proper medical clearance. The NHL is now doing a full investigation. This will likely prevent Kane signing in the short term as teams wait the results. So now, okay, so everything right now based on that is on hold. Um, the question I have, and this is this is something that the arbitrator will will uh, uh, you know determine. I believe at the in between the 21st and the 29th was when the NHL mimicked the CDC in regards to the 10-day to 5-day uh, quarantine policy for COVID. I think I'm right on that. If that's yeah. the case, that might be part of Kane's defense. Well, if I've already been. Uh, yeah, but, the, I, I, but the, weren't the players who were part of that? Didn't they have to go the full 10 days? Like I seem to recall that. Yeah, uh, it, was, it was whether they were asymptomatic or not. That right. was if they were asymptomatic, yeah. then five days would apply. So, what what have you heard about the situation in terms of Edmonton, in terms of the whole thing? Well, I, I thought prior to yesterday when it suddenly became Edmonton's game to lose, I thought the the front runner, to be honest, was the Tampa Bay Lightning. I had talked to a general manager and I had asked him. Uh, whether he was in, and he said, "No, we've decided we're we're out." And I said, "Do you th know who's going to win?" He goes, "I think it's going to be the Lightning um, are, are going to get him." But it certainly all changed uh, uh, by yesterday evening. Everybody was saying, "Oh yeah, he," you know. And I think it has everything to do uh, with where Evander Kane wants to go, um, and it isn't solely about who can win the cup as it might be for some. Um, I think he just has more com comfort uh, going out and playing in Canada. But, you know, it is interesting, the investigation. Um, this this could really be horrible for Evander Kane because they could uh, suspend him again uh, uh, for uh, what he did um, in all this. And, you know, what, what's, what I find remarkable about this is, here he is grieving to keep his contract 
and yet there's ongoing talks as if he's already lost. Right. Um, and, you know, I talked to an agent uh, uh, about this, too, and he said, too, that there, it, it is a little bit uh, um, kind of odd how this has kind of all played out. Uh, and it's almost as if he's, he's willing to accept that he doesn't have a contract. Well, um, so uh, I don't Chris, know. I didn't get it. Chris Johnston uh, yesterday on TSN had talked about the you know because they've they've established who the arbitrator is going to be. He's going to hear both sides, and he says, "Well, the possibility is you know they will uphold the contract, or they'll say that San Jose was valid in term had had a valid point in terminating it." And one of the scenarios he laid out was that they could you know that he's free to sign as a free agent this year with anybody like he's trying to do right now. And that if the arbitrator finds that they were not able to buy out or not able to terminate his contract, that next year he would resort back to San Jose, that San Jose would have the, he'd be back on the sharks and have three years remaining on his contract, which is bizarre. It's like he's being rented someplace for the rest of the year at a low salary. And then he can go and then, you know, San Jose is going to have to buy out his contract or something like that. Yeah, I, I don't know. And all of this has been odd because, um, and, and I had to think this through, and, and I sort of get the logic of it now. But, you know, there's rules against you can't renegotiate a contract. Right. Um, yet you, you've you heard, okay, well, there's there could be a discussion um, about cutting a deal between the Sharks um, and the deal. Well, that would seem to be against the uh uh, rules uh, yeah. of renegotiating a contract. But you're, I guess you're not really, I guess what you're negotiating in that case, this is how I solved it in my own head. I could be totally wrong on this. It's a termination I, settlement. Is that right. That, like that, that he is going to agree that he's terminating the contract. He's agreeing to go along with it, but you know, he wants something uh, for being able to do that. I, I, you know, I guess I, otherwise I don't understand how that fits within the rules of, you, right. you can't renegotiate a, a, a Russ, it's almost it's almost like negotiating a severance package like mm -hmm. i like i did when i was working in banking it's like you know you, you know they they well there i had a certain amount of years and i got a, a certain amount of a severance pack severance package but in this instance if they settle if they're not if they don't go to the arbitrator like like every salary arbitration we know never goes to the arbitrator it is always settled beforehand maybe in the end that's what's going to happen here well, I don't think so, because I think they're not going to settle, because if you look at CDC guidelines and you look at certain states, what they require from employees, whether it's a private business or a public business, like I'll read right from the CDC, employers should not return to work until they meet the criteria to discontinue home isolation and have consultant with a health care provider. If he doesn't have record of somebody clearing him mm -hmm. of not having COVID or saying your isolation was good, you're checked or everything else. He doesn't have a leg to stand on. Then he may have abrogated a particular clause yeah. in the contract. Although yeah. I, don't, I don't think it, that applies as much as, you know, every employer can set their own standards. So they I think. Can, what, but didn't the league set a standard? They yeah, they did. That's what I'm saying. But I think that's what the, this, you know, what they'll be discussing, not what the CDC guidelines. Well, they did talk about the AHL. When I first heard the, what they were talking about as far as getting rid of them, uh, and it, they mentioned that he broke the AHL's policy, right? Because technically, he was in with the AHL team. Yeah, but he's being paid NHL by team. an NHL team. I know, 
but they did uh, mention the AHL. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's you know that exactly. what happens is is when you get involved in all the minute I know arguments of all this, it's really kind of hard, but to, to yeah, sort it all out. But um, but yeah. I will tell you this: if the league does find that he didn't isolate correctly and was on a flight and shouldn't have been, he's not going to get paid. But the hilarious thing here is that it came out. I don't. I don't know if it was Daniel Milstein or if it was reports from from you know a report from a particular reporter that Kane was looking to go to a quote contender. And if that's the case, then why is he going to Edmonton? Because right now they may be a contender for a playoff spot. They're not a contender for a Stanley Cup. Well, I can, can understand. I can understand him, Kev, wanting to play with McDavid and Drysital. Whereas if he goes to Tampa, he might be on the third line. I get that, but yeah, yeah. But I think it's. I'm not. You know, I, I, I'm not going to hold that against him. We got a lot of things that we can hold yeah, against him. Exactly. But we need to go play. And Edmonton with Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, and you know, yeah. I mean, you probably can convince yourself, look, you know, I can take them to another level because I add something they don't have. Although, you know, he can't fix their goaltending, or he can't um, give themselves another um, defenseman. The other point I wanted to bring up too, I had this discussion. I've had some readers have um, been said, you know, like how does this make sense for Edmonton? Um, because it doesn't fix their goaltending or it doesn't fix their defense. But, you know, you know, for what he's going to sign for, right. you're just taking one player out and putting him in. Like, this exactly. doesn't alter no. what their ability. I mean, because they're really kind of hamstrung in their ability to go out and get one anyway. But, but he can win a couple of games just with his talent. I mean, yeah, and you, but, but the, it's not so much as that. Is, is that, you, you know, you're going to take out one – a million dollar player off your roster and add another million dollar player. That's all. Yeah. That's all you're doing here. Like you're yeah, not. It's not but, costing you anything, really. But he's right, exactly. He, but he's a million dollar player who would be worth, you know, would be worth seven million dollars. Because correct. He, yeah. Know, he, yeah. Yeah. He's much better than a million. I mean, this is a great move for Edmonton. Yeah. yeah. Um, provided that you believe that he's not going to um, cause problems in your dressing room. Right, it's a free, it's a free roll of dice, and if he does if he does cause problems, then they can terminate his contract, and there's no yeah. skin off their nose. But yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, Kev, about Ken Holland's uh, press conference. We talked about it yesterday. Yeah. Um, I got the feeling from the people I saw on from Edmonton media on social media, none of them were pleased because it's like I'm not firing the coach. I'm not making. I'm not trading my first round pick. Uh, I'm not really doing anything, and they're like they want something done, and they're yeah. you know, and, and what he did say, and I, again, if I had a dollar for every time he said, "Well, we were in first overall on December 1st, but it's not December first; it's January 12th." Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, this is the way he has operated um, from the very beginning. It worked for him in Detroit. Now you can argue that the game has changed; it's evolved; things are different now. Um, and that's, you know, kind of a fair argument. But from his perspective, you know, he's always been careful. He's never fired anyone midseason before, um, you know, and uh, I think he believes that the team is better than it's shown recently. And I think, uh, you know, he's trying to do it, uh, the, you know, kind of his way. Now, is he right to do that? I don't know. I, you know, I was, it looks to me like Edmonton's, the players are waiting for something to happen here and he's not doing it. But I, I, I think the biggest thing here is not so much firing a coach. It's to correct the goaltending um, because I think that changes everything. Like if you went out and got, even if he just 
you know, changes the the, the people, um, I think it would give this team a lift. Um, it would. But he and, also did one very smart thing, Kev, and when he, whether he was asked the question because I didn't get to watch it live or he just addressed it, when he talked about players getting second chances and he believes in it, now he's kind of like laid the foundation that if he does sign Kane, well, listen, we talked about this already. Like It's like, you know, you can't really come at me. You knew that I had spoken to his agent and you knew this was a possibility. And so he's laid that already. And I think that's smart because it does suppress what might, you know, outrage might come when they do sign up. Yeah. Or if he signs someplace else, he can say, well, I tried, I was in on it. I did my, you know, I did the due diligence. I was willing to give him a second chance. He decided Mm -hmm. to go someplace else. I'm trying, but you know, I'm under limitations because of the salary cap and whatever. I mean, you know, there's, there's no excuses. Yeah. So, um, Kev, a little bit of a surprise yesterday, the announcement that Nick Lidstrom is going yeah. to be VP of Hockey Operations with Detroit. The thing that I found interesting that I heard was he's not coming to Detroit. He's going to stay in school. Yeah. Uh, to, to be honest with you, I was just a little disappointed in that just because, just for this reason. Like, this is a real unique opportunity, and I'm glad that Russ is here because he's uh, really good at these type of situations. I tried to come up with an analogy, you know, the Lidstrom and Eisenman are two of the top three players in Red Wings history. Mm-hmm. So imagine having a one-two managerial combination. The only thing I could think of is if Mario Lemieux and Crosby were the general manager and director of hockey ops or oh, vice way. president. Um, but in, in other sports, I mean, it, it would this have been like uh, DiMaggio and Mantle running the ankle? I mean, yeah. like... Like, I mean, this is incredible when you think about it. I mean, these are two incredibly great players. All right, I've got one. What is it? All right, it's, this is going way back, but you'll know the names. When Bill Cook was the Rangers coach, Frank Boucher was the GM. Okay, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's good. I mean, that that, uh, that makes sense. But, uh, um, you know, it's really remarkable. And uh, there was an interesting quote yesterday, and, and no one seemed to – latch on to it, but I, I find it remarkable is, um, you know, either Mark Messier or Steve Eiserman were the greatest captain of their generation. Um, you know, you can argue on that all day and there's really no right answer with it. But uh, without a doubt, um, he was one of the, Eiserman was one of the most respected leaders in the NHL. And yet what he said yesterday is, you know, when he made decisions, he leaned on Lidstrom for advice and wisdom. So I, you know, I thought that was kind of remarkable that you know you could you think of Steve just sort of uh, because of who he was making that, but you know he sought counsel from Lidstrom, and so now he's going to do it from the managerial. So my my only thought about moving there is I thought he was going to move because Nick had said that maybe when his kids got older he might move back to Michigan because people didn't realize, but Lidstrom and his wife had actually lived more in Michigan than they had in Sweden when they left. Because he had spent all his entire, you know, he had played two decades, and they, and they, you know, they were ingrained here. Uh, but they did speak Swedish in the home, unless there was a non-Swede in the uh, uh, room. So they were preparing to go back this whole time. So I thought he might come back and do that. And my argument for that is, if you want to really make your mark and become you know, Steve Eisman's right-hand person. Don't you kind of have to be here and be in the office? And I know well, maybe he'll be there for certain things. Like well, you, maybe he'll be there for the draft. Well, he, he is he is going to be there for the draft, but it's not like 
you go in every day and you get in at nine o'clock and you plop in the chair in Steve's office and the two of you start talking about, well, you know, what, what, what do you think, Steve? What if we went out and got a, you know, stay at home defenseman, you know, those kinds of conversations where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's, it would be better if he was there. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can't disagree with you. I'm just, but I can and, see where it would work too. Um, well, 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 think about it, right. As an example, mm-hmm. like when you're, and it's a different position, but still a, an important position when you're like a director of amateur scouting, those guys are still on the road a ton. Yeah, and not in the office. Well, now, he's a VP, so I get it. But still, well, it's let, let, let's just say this. I mean, what we're doing right now, they'll be do. They could be doing on Zoom every day. I mean, it's not the same. Yeah. As, the same as coming into the well, office. There's a different kind of impact. I get what Kevin's saying. Yeah, it, it, it. I, I just think the the nuances of it, and you know, right. basically that job is, you're, you're, you're kind of creating your own job. Like yeah. basically. Um, Steve Eisenman said yesterday, you know, I'm giving him a, a, a blank canvas right. and telling him whatever you kind of want to do with it, you know, just sort of do it. So, you know, uh, you know, could could he just say, OK, I'm going to come in for a month and help Jeff Flash will get the power play squared away. Right. Um, he has the power to do that. Now, sure. you know, whether or not he would do it um, remains to be seen. But, you know, he was one of the greatest power play performers ever. And uh, uh you know, he just sort of redefined how you play the point. He's the guy that started banking shots off the wall. And, well, Kev, uh, I did think of one instant thing that he was going to do instantaneous, and that is he's probably talking to Simone Edmondson today. Well, he, but he's been doing that anyway. You I know, know but I mean? now he's in an official capacity. So yeah, really yeah. So I, 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 you know, it, it, it is going to work. And this is the 21st century. We can certainly all use Zoom and everything else. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying from – when you're trying to kind of establish a hierarchy of like right now, I think it would be hard for him to supplant Chris Draper as the number two guy if he's not here. Because, you know, oh, Draper is going to be there, you know, popping into Steve's office, kibitzing with him on a regular basis. I will tell you something, Kev. You didn't get to hear this. When I was at the um, Fall Classic, there was a fan that wanted to take a picture with Steve Eiserman. And Draper's like, here, give me the phone. I'll take the picture. So he'll even take pictures. Yeah, yeah, no. And I, I just think that, you know, that's – I think it would be better for the organization if Lidstrom was the number two guy because um, what he is very poised and he's uh, very thoughtful. He chews on everything before he acts. And um, it, and I'm not sure you can do that. Their um, international scouting, though, especially in Sweden, he could really – he could find free agents out there. He could find young players to draft out there. Like, there's a lot of value still. Well, well there is, but they already have a leg up there because of Hawk and Anderson. So, right. right. But, but how, old's right. Hawk, how old's Hawk and Anderson? Yeah, no, I agree with you. But you're, but you're right. I mean, you know, he can expand, and you know that he's going to work with, you know, all the European uh, guys. And I think you'll see, uh, you know, they've had a pipeline for for Swedish players, and I think that'll now continue. I think it'll get better. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and, and, and we know we know that Eisenman has sort of adopted the Ken Holland approach when it came to, you know, bringing in like he had nil and he had Eisenman and he had a bunch of people as assistant GMs. And Elliot Friedman just said uh, a few minutes ago on the radio that Pat Verbeek might be in the mix for Vancouver's GM job. So if that if that's the case, then, you know, bringing in a Lidstrom is just sort of adding to the group when somebody might be leaving. So, I mean, I think that makes sense. And, you know, I, I yeah. honestly, the, the more you can get quality people in there, the better. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's yeah. A, and, and you're right about, he has adopted, uh, uh, you know, Holland had the sort of kitchen cabinet approach where he had uh, six guys that he brought in, then he listened to everyone and then he made his decision. Um, one person, Delano, yeah. well, you know, that's the thing too. I was going to bring up Devilano's still part of all this. Uh, a right. lot of people don't realize that, but Jimmy D is, uh, you know, don't forget he drafted Steve Eiserman. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, they have a long relationship. Uh, so he's, you know, he's there and, uh, I, you know, I don't think he has, uh, you know, as much power as he had in the past, but, uh, you know, he, uh, Steve listens to him, but, but Steve's his own guy. Like anybody who knows Eiserman, you know, uh, uh, that's why when he always, he talks, he jokes around about it, about how, uh, you know, he loves having a scouting staff because if things go right, um, he can take all the credit and if they go wrong, he can just blame his, his scouting staff. I mean, he jokes about that, but the truth of the matter is Steve Eisenman owns the first round. Like that, that n- nobody, I don't care if Steve Eisenman went and saw all these people play and his scouting staff said, well, we should take Joe Smith and he liked Mike Jones. He's taking Mike Jones. Yeah, no uh, question. Yeah, that that's just his thing, and I I'm well, not sure everybody the whole Hextall thing after this, Mike, going with that base. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. I... But uh, um, you know, I think he's very confident in what he does, and uh, from what I've heard, all these picks, these last three picks, where he took uh, Cider, uh, Lucas Raymond, and uh, Edmondson. Now, you know, maybe everybody's in agreement on it, but I've I've heard that Eisenman pretty much kind of established. You know, at some point, yeah, these are my guys, and well, everybody said, "Yeah, well, we all like them." So, well, th- this is a nice subtle transition to what Bobby Clark, the former Philadelphia Flyers general manager, said on a uh, podcast a couple days ago. Um, and and I, the, when I first heard this, Kevin, I'm like, "This is typical Bobby Clark," because now Ron Hextall is in Pittsburgh, so now he's the enemy. Yep. And and I and I didn't I didn't get this until I heard what Friedman said today is that this is Clark going to bat for Chuck Fletcher because what yes. he's what he's saying is what he's laying the groundwork for is the fault of the Flyers falling apart this year is all on Ron Hextall because he drafted Nolan Patrick second overall instead of Miro Haskinen and Kale McCarr. And Russ and I and you were at that draft and nobody in their right mind was not taking Nolan Patrick one or two. So it's a load of crap. Yeah. I, you know, um, Bobby Clark uh, is a company man, uh, as you laid out, and he's going to protect his own. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I won't uh, say who it was, but someone within the hockey community once said to me, Bobby Clark would lie about the time of day and, um, <laughs> if it suited uh, his team's interest. And yeah. uh, I think that's what we we see here. Um, yeah. And, and what's what's interesting is, again, Chris Pryor did a lot of that drafting. Right. It's not even Ron. But they tried to just blame Ron, like for overruling. But like you said, 
it's up to the GM sometimes to make an overruling. Now, what I brought up, Kev, is at the time that Hextall got there, their minor league system was bad. They needed players to get to the NHL quickly. And so they were looking at players with that lens. So based on some of the players they passed on were because they didn't think they could get to the NHL quickly and they had to get some numbers up there soon within the year or two. And that is what the, the scouting staff was tasked with there. But again, now that Hextall's in Pittsburgh and he's having early success here and Fletcher is having no success, uh, that's where all this has come from. Well, and let's not forget that Patrick at that time looked like he was born to be a flyer. Absolutely. Like, like the flyers, you know, have a long tradition yes. of taking that style of player. No and Hexwell played within that system. I mean, it yeah. made it made sense for the flyers to take him. They did. But then there was all this other blaming, like, you know, Patrick is from Brandon, and then they went and took Provorov. Now all of a sudden Provorov can't play. He's having a bad year. But nobody can have a bad year anymore if your team's doing poorly, because then everybody's like, well, you got to trade them. But guess what? Ivan Provorov makes $6.7 million for like the next four or five years. They're not trading that contract because, A, he plays over 20-something minutes a game. Yeah. And even if he's not a number one, he's your number two. And you can't get that on the open market. No. Yeah, and it's not like he's a, suddenly turned into a third-pairing defenseman. No. And to be honest, you know, the, there have been a lot of things wrong with Philadelphia this season. But to me, Ryan Ellis's injury has had just aggravating consequences. Sure, it's, that's number one. There's no question. And, and you've lost Ryan Ellis, and he, he was brought in to make Provorov better, so right. Provorov couldn't get better because he doesn't have Ryan Ellis. So. Right, that's true. Yeah, yeah. And, and Couturier's injury has killed him as well. Oh, yeah. Put more For of a sure. notice. And, and, and fans are the ones that can't get Claude Giroux out of town quick enough are seeing what they're like without Claude Giroux. Yeah. For yeah. the first time. Now, um, talking about some of the games last night, and first one I want to talk about because uh, a lot, a lot of things have come out of this one. The 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 Lightning and the Sabers last night. I mean, obviously the Lightning are you know the best team or one of the best two or three teams in the league. The Sabers, we know where they, but they've the Sabers have I think overachieved based on the expectations of what many people, including myself, had. Well, that may be over with because they lost 6-1 to one last night, but in the loss, they lose two goaltenders in Uka Pekalukkanen and Malcolm Subban, his backup. Lukkanen, who's had a history of injury problems, he missed an entire year with a – or most of a year with a hip flexor injury. In the, and uh, uh, Or no, it was a uh, labor, a hip uh, surgery that took, I think, four or five months to, to come back from. Uh, he's out week to week with a lower body injury. Subban is out month to month, and he finished the game. So I don't know what the what that injury is, but it, it's you know they didn't specify. They had to sign Michael Hauser, who they signed last year when they had a lot of injury problems. Anderson's out. Tokarski is out with COVID. He's been he's been out for like a couple months. Um, now their goaltending tandem, Russ, is the immortal Aaron Dell and Michael Hauser. Uh, yeah, I mean, not, yeah. I, I I posted something on Twitter recently when it was apparent to me, and we had talked about it on the show that the Sabers were going to ride Uka Pekalukan, and no matter how many games he's played in his career, and I didn't think it was a good idea. I mentioned that, if, and especially if we're going to count the ECHL in 2019, like that's the most games he's played in a long time, which is 33 games. 
It's not that many games. And he played only 10 of them in the AHL. So now the answer was, well, the AHL team's not as good, so he could play better with the NHL team, which is complete baloney because he's facing like 40 shots a game with the NHL team. And now the workload's way harder. It's a little more condensed than the AHL. And, you know, I'm not saying that's contributing to his injury, but I'm saying it's a way harder workload for a young goalie and for people to write and fans to just say, yeah, leave him up there. You don't realize what that could do to him in the future. And so, of course, I was like the really unpopular guy on Twitter with that statement. The next game, we gave up like four goals, right, Mike? And this game, he gave up two goals on nine shots in the first period. Like there is a point where you have to send that young goalie down especially if he's doing well, so he could take it, bring it back to the AHL, go on a run in the playoffs with the AHL team, have that experience, and then come back to the NHL next year. And now he may not get that chance. Yeah, I mean, we don't know the severity of the injury. He could be back in a month. He could be done for the year. We don't We don't know. And they say week to week. It's very, it's yeah. very obscure. Uh, but, Kevin, Russ and I were talking about Lucan, and we were looking at, like, the, the games that he played in Rochester and then called up to Buffalo. And he was – like, he played a back-to-back in Buffalo, I mean, which is unheard of now. Um, he was – he played a block of games between the Rochester and Buffalo where he played maybe 12, 13 games in – you know, in a row. I mean, he was he was the guy. It was almost like we, we got to see if this guy can handle the workload when he's had a history of injury problems. You don't do yeah. that with young goaltenders. You know, the only thing I would say in defense of that is is that you know goalies' uh, mental makeup is kind of crucial to their success, and you know they're not fragile guys. Uh, you know, or they wouldn't be pro goalies. Sure. Um, so I. You know, I, I'm not going to blame him too much. You, you you have to do what's best for your NHL team, and he was the, their most important guy. I mean, you can make the argument that uh, perhaps that it would hurt him long term, but I'm, you know, I, I can't imagine like that. Those guys are pretty realistic about you know what's going on, and that they know that they're you know the team is not very good, and it's just their job to try to keep them competitive. So I'm not sure it'll ruin them, but no, but I'm not saying it's going to ruin them, but I'm just saying. Now, in the grand scheme of things, it's definitely going to upset him. Like his first World Juniors, he had a problem mentally. And I even had other people in in hockey tell me the same thing. He got over that. And he's been over that since. But again, if all of a sudden he were to get peppered, starts getting hurt, you never know if it could slip back to that. I worry about that. We see goalies all the time, but some of them prefer to get more shots than the game. You know, I... Longo did, I know that. Yeah, I've talked to goalies. I don't think he's old enough to be in that position to say, yeah, I'm good with like 35, 40 shots a game where he doesn't have that experience. Well, I, you know, I, I, I just think back, like a lot of people thought that what made Marty Verdure great was he could be really good even if he only faced 20 shots, which yeah. he often did yeah. um, with the doubles. And, you know, it, it required where, you know, some like Hashik, you know, he, you know, he, he didn't like 19 shots, you know, he preferred 40, you know, yeah. uh, you know, he wanted to get into it, move around and do all that. So I, I don't know. I think we're going to have to wait and see about that. Um, it's, yeah. it's tough news for the uh, Sabres. Um but uh, yeah, when you start talking about games, I I thought you were going to go to the game, which to me said a lot, which was Colorado Nashville. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I was that was the next one. Yeah, that is to me that's so unbelievable. Like Nashville, 
is got to be the biggest surprise in the league. Like no question, Colorado is a really good team. Like they had the best winning percentage in the West before that game, you know. And the only reason we're not paying attention to them is because they've played fewer games. Uh, um, but a lot of people still think they're one of the teams to beat. And Nashville comes back; they win that game. And Saros, there's two co two co MVPs. And one of them is not Matt, Matt Duchesne, even though he's had a remarkable year. It's Saros and John Hines. Uh, those are co-MVPs on the Predators because he's got uh, Hines has got everyone to buy in on this being hard to play against, uh, including Matt Duchesne, which, I mean, that's the miracle of miracles uh, that, yeah. uh, that Duchesne is playing, I think. But they're so hard to play against, and Jeanette is playing so well, and the other big guy whose name escapes me um, – uh, oh, you're talking about Karen? Karen? Jakob Trenin? Trenin, Trenin, oh, yeah. Trenin, yeah, Trenin. yeah th those two guys have made a remarkable difference on that team. And uh, Jeanette has played himself into rookie of the uh, year consideration. He's got 12, uh, he's got 12 goals. I mean, well, yeah, and he's, just, he's so miserable to play against. Uh, you know, he yeah. just, you know, he's so hard. I, I watch those games, and I, I just enjoy every shift he's on the ice. Well, if, there, if there's yeah, a Cummings doing well, too. I, I, I always liked him as a player, and he's eighth on the team in scoring. So, yeah, they're getting they're getting contributors. And even, you know, Tolvanen's got some points, too. He's got well, five if, goals. Well, if, so. if, there's, if there's somebody else who deserves MVP consideration from that team, it's it's Roman Yossi. Because I think oh, yeah. up until yesterday, or he was leading the team in scoring. He and still again, is, yeah. He still is. Well, it's a great He's a great player, and the other, um, and we've talked about him before, but the new Ryan Ellis is Carrier, um, you know, who's third in minutes played. Um, you know, he's a smaller defenseman, but he gets things done defensively and offensively. Um, like, they they don't miss Ryan Ellis at all, and Ryan Ellis is a good hockey player. Yes, he um, is. They, they, don't, uh, they don't miss him, and uh, this is a really a fascinating uh, – uh, team and uh, Saros has been brilliant. Like he, he is uh, he deserves Vezina consideration at this point in the season. Every every goaltender around six foot or shorter, Russ is rooting for UC Saros to be in contention for the Vezina because that'll open up the the market. I don't think it will. I think they'll say he's the outlier. Honestly, yeah, and right, it might, it might that might be the case, but it will give it will give license for them giving some of these shorter goalies a second chance, maybe. Maybe. Um, now, the the Atlantic Division is just really interesting. Like I said, the Lightning, you know, Kucherov scored a couple goals in the game against the Sabres. They get the win. The Panthers maintain pace. Uh, they beat the Canucks 5-2. to two. Uh, The Leafs win. Are we going to talk about the rapper or are we going to leave that alone? Oh well, I'll just I'll just say this because they, they there was increased if if for for people who don't know what was his name Russ Kodak something Kodak Black Kodak Black yeah okay so I you know being a fat fifty something white guy I don't know hip hop me so, neither so um so this guy was uh, at the Panthers game and he was introduced. He was on the scoreboard. That he was in a private box next to either management or ownership of the of the Panthers. And then during a TV timeout, he was essentially what it's found out that he was not having sex with the girl. He was twerking some girl that was in the box with him. And it was on it was on 
the the scoreboard and it was rather at the, at that moment when they thought it was not twerking when they thought it was a sexual act there was a little bit of a, an embarrassment there because he was invited to the game he was it wasn't like he and he was the- next to the the gm box right so Luongo's so- in there zito's in there but you know i'll tell you the cautionary tale for this one if you don't have a lot of fans in the stands and you don't have ushers everywhere it could happen again well, and the, the point, okay, this is the point. I, I didn't made. see one usher, did you, Mike? No. It was an no. empty section. Well, it was it was in the second level, Russ, which is the one where they, you know, they, like I know in Buffalo, that's where they have like, uh, they have people who will go and get you your chicken fingers and bring them to you instead of you having to go into the concession state. I'm just saying that, um, you know, it's a little bit embarrassing. And I, I, I think that, you know, the NHL is always trying to appear, Kev, as they're, you know, they're cool, they're with yep, it, yep. like the NBA, and they will gravitate and grab onto anybody who makes them look cool. And it's almost like they do that at the risk of being embarrassed. And this was embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, they don't, yeah. Um, but you're I right. Know say, I don't know what to say about it. It's just, yeah, you know, no, I, it. yeah, that, I think it. you're right. They, they do work, uh, try to uh, work too hard to try to, um, you know, be hip and, uh, you know, have all the stars. You know, like when you look at their roster for when they do the awards and the people they try to bring in to make it look like, look how cool we are. Yeah, uh, we got Snoop Dogg. You pay Snoop Dogg and he'll show up. It's not like he likes Yeah, but no, but Snoop Dogg is a Kings fan. He's a pretty big guy. Uh, he is. So. Right, but I don't. I don't know if he'd be at the All Star. Well, he'd be at the All Star game because it's in Vegas. But I don't know if he'd be at the All Star game unless they, unless they're giving him his appearance fee. Let's just say that. Uh, but getting back to the Atlantic, so the so the Panthers beat the Canucks, the Lightning beat the Sabers, and Russ and I. I don't know how much you watch Russ. I stayed up to watch the whole period and a half. Maybe I lasted two. <laughs> so, so the the Leafs for the second game in a row against a quality Western Conference foe go up early. Excuse me. Yes. Okay. You okay there, Russ? Yeah. Yeah. I was just coughing up something. Like okay. against a against a quality Western <laughs> Conference foe, like they like they did against Colorado. They were up four to one in the second period against Vegas. They were up three to one going in the third. That lead lead evaporated. Uh, they held on, went to overtime, and went to the shootout. Um, it was basically like me being in the shootout. Nobody could score, and then finally William Nealander uh, scored the winner, and the Leafs won four to three. Um, so what the point I'm making here, Kev, is you've got this higher echelon in the Atlantic and they seem to be separating themselves. And we talked about it yesterday with Joe Yurden. If you look at the standings, you've got them in the Atlantic. You've got the top three in the Metro. You've got Pittsburgh uh, or who I think it's still Pittsburgh in the first wildcard spot. And they're as, they're as good as anybody. And then Boston with a bunch of games in hand. Uh, now at 40 points, only Detroit is within shouting distance yeah. of those teams. And they're they're really not a fan. And they're really not. They can't you know play on the road. So I mean, I mean what you're saying is is the playoff spots are settled in the East. All right. I yeah. think all but one. I'm still gonna say there's a chance that if Boston were to have a hiccup, maybe somebody gets close to them, but that's it. I yeah, doubt. Yeah. Um, but, but, but Russ, but Russ, if Boston was had played 34, 35, 36 games, I would say, yeah, it's still a race. They played 32. No, no, I get it. I get it. 
Yeah. They have five no, otherwise it is. It's pretty much sewn up. Yeah, I mean, really, the Red, the Red Wings for a while were a placeholder for the Bruins until they yes. played enough games. Um, yeah. you know, because the Red Wings have played better than expected. Uh, um, but you know, you can't. You know, they've won four games uh, on the road. Uh, you know, they just can't do it. They've now lost. Uh, let's see, six in a row and ten of their last eleven on the road. So, uh, you can't make the playoffs in this league by playing that poorly on the road. Yeah, and, P- and Pittsburgh won 4-1 to one yesterday over Anaheim. Uh, Evgeny Malkin comes back, Kev. And I'm like, it, you know what? They're flying under the radar. Everybody's looking at Tampa and Florida and Toronto and the Rangers and Pittsburgh. I think they had won nine in a row until they lost to Dallas. And now they get Malkin back. And, you know, and Crosby is back. And they're – I mean, they're – I mean – They're still the Penguins. Like, I, the Penguins. You know, I, keep, I keep telling people that, like, why you have to, you know, treat them as if they're real is the fact that they have a long history and they still have Crosby, Malk, and Latang. Um, and this year their goaltending has been good. Uh, you know, Russ keeps pointing out how hard they work, and uh, you know, there's probably a lot this to is that. The only reason I picked them for the playoffs, Kev, if I didn't, if I wasn't in a place where I could have seen them practice and see some of the other guys they had brought into camp. I wouldn't have picked them for the playoffs. I admit that. But I did see it every day, and I was like, you know what? This is different from what I'm seeing in Philadelphia. That's basically Well, and as long as Jari holds up, like, you've got to give them a shot. Um, You know, just because, you know, Crosby and Malkin still, you know, when you're that good up the middle, um, you know, uh, you've uh, got a shot in the the postseason. And, uh, um, you know, Latang is still playing, and I saw some – uh, some stats about uh, you know what, how many points he's had in his last eighty games, and you know it's like way up there. Like he's still playing at a high level. So um, you know, uh, so they're they've been a real impressive team. And Mike Sullivan is a terrific coach. Uh, uh, like he's he impressing really, me now. This is the hard hard work, man. Yeah, he he gets always gets a lot out of his players, and you know he's not easy. I you know I'll tell you the story. And when I do, a lot of people are kind of shocked by this, but I've talked to people who had Tortorella as head coach and Mike Sullivan as assistant. And they said Mike Sullivan was the harder of the two coaches um, to, to deal with. Um, uh, you know, Mike's not easy. You know, he's, he's on you all the time. Um, and, uh, but, you know, he, he gets it to, to work. And uh, I know uh, Sidney Crosby uh, appreciates uh, uh, what Sullivan does uh, for that team. And um, so, yeah, I think – I think it's kind of set in the East. We know who the, you know, the teams are, and I know X trying to get the Islanders back into it, but it sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> so um, uh, it would have to. Be, yeah, so it's over, says Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have it. I have it ready and waiting. Every time we make it, this is going to yeah. be the, yeah. the Islanders come up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like the video with Dennis Green. We we know we, yeah. we are who they thought we are, or whatever. <laughs> Um, but just just think just think though um whoever is the right now and it could change because if pittsburgh goes on a winning streak that they could be in the top three but right now if you're the team that wins the division that you're second in points you know say tampa bay or florida win the atlantic and they have 50 or whatever they have 100 and something points and they play the second wild card and the team that wins the metro gets the Pittsburgh Penguins in the first round. I'd almost want not want to, you know, to play like Washington or the Rangers than to play Pittsburgh. Yeah. No question. 
Yeah, well, there's, you know, we always talk about parity in the league, but the parity in those divisions is pretty remarkable right now. Um, you know, when you've got, especially in the Atlantic, I mean, Boston um, hasn't kept up to the top three, but I think if they had played all their games, I think they would. Um, yeah, they probably would. They'd be, they'd be up there. And, uh, you know, they have, so. they have six games in hand on Tampa, they have four games in hand on florida they only have two on toronto so you know it, yeah it's it's going to be yeah. a very interesting race and, and I'll, I'll tell you what, what uh, yeah, i want to bring this up before we go uh carolina i was looking at that team the other the the last week they had two games uh with a total 13 goals and uh sebastian Ajo at one point and and they scored 13 and i i think to me what that showed to me is they are a lot deeper. Yeah. Um, like, yeah, they got a, a couple of really good lines, but that that's a pretty deep team there. You know, they get scoring up and down their lineup, and their defense is is really good. And Freddie Anderson has been good. And you know, now is the time when all the Leaf fans send me a text or an email saying, "Wait till the playoffs." But um, <laughs> you know, we're not there yet. Is your Russ Cohen not sending you a message? No. Yeah. So. But the, the the interesting thing, and just because uh, I want to talk about the KHL and the and the the, the central scouting mid uh, season rankings, but the interesting thing was that that Elliot Friedman said was that this pursuit of Chikrin, that any name that's prominent out, prominent out there, think of two teams being in on them: Carolina and Colorado. And if you think, can you imagine Colorado or Carolina adding Chikrin before the deadline? Now they have they have the assets, they have the young players to be able to pull those pull that off. And if you bring in a guy who's a legitimate top pairing, top four defenseman like Chikrin, that could shift the balance, Kev. That really could. Yeah, and uh, you know I'm going to repeat what I said the other day. People who scoffed at the idea that this uh, he should bring a Jack Eichel. Um, you know, return just aren't paying attention to this. Uh, you know, he is a an attractive player because he's got this year and three more at 4.6. Yep, yep. Um, he's a potential top pairing. He is a muscular defenseman. Yeah. Right. He's got 18 goals last year. He's played for a really poor team and he's 23 years old. Yeah. Like this is a very attractive player. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, I talked to a GM yesterday who who is you know hopes he's in on it. Uh, you know the only thing he said is is uh, um, you know they they don't want just good prospects. They want your best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah. So if, they, if it's Colorado, they're gonna want they're gonna want Newhook or they're they're gonna want Byram probably. And if it's yeah you know, Carolina, they're probably gonna want Neckish and yeah. Uh, you know yeah. Like I, I I just wrote yesterday, the Red Wings want him as well, and because sure. they're they're looking to bring in what they're what I refer to as a middle age defenseman. Yeah. Um, you know, they want someone in the mid twenties because, uh, you know, that's the other thing we, we, uh, compared Eisenman to Holland because he does a lot of things. He's very patient, poised and everything. Here's, here's the one difference though. Edvinson, I'm pretty sure is going to play in the Red Wings next year. Yeah. And I think if it was Holland, he'd have him already have a ticket in an apartment for him in, in Grand Rapids. Right. Um, now, Steve says, you know, things like, you know, you got to earn your way. Um, on this team, and I, I think he believes all that. But I think they're very excited about Edmondson. They've already got visions of 
Edmondson and Cider dancing uh, in their heads. Yeah, I'm uh, sure they do. Uh, about, uh, you know, about next season. So, but here's the problem. And, you know, I wrote their disadvantage because their prospects are so good. Like, they, they can't give up Cider or Lucas Raymond or Edmondson. Uh, there's just no way. And they can't give up their first-round pick. You know, you can't be in the middle of a rebuild. See, all these other teams are all real big contenders. Their right. picks are late in the first round. Yeah, they can yeah, give yeah. up their first-round picks. It's no big deal. Right. It is a big deal for the Red Wings. So, you know, that's what I, I said to the fans of Detroit. You know, they're just at a disadvantage. They they can't give up those items, and they're going to try to, you know, convince them to take Zadina or, you know, Bergren or, yeah, you know. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's just not going to work. So. Now, now, Russ, uh, I know this morning uh, you had reported and then it broke uh, after that that the KHL was going to suspend play. Now, I saw conflicting reports. And Avis did, too. Let's give Avis credit, too. Yeah, Avis Kellen's former hockey buzzer. We actually posted the when they did shut it down at the same time. The the funny thing is, is I even said to my wife after I got the information, is tomorrow today like that I'm getting this information yeah, yeah. from Russia? That was the part I couldn't figure out, and clearly it was. Uh, yeah. uh, but but then uh, now the thing is that I think both of you said that they were going to suspend play for a week, and then I saw yeah. a Slava Malmud report that it's indefinite, which I I find hard to believe because I don't think like, it's indefinite. I yeah, mean, I can't not, say for sure, but I don't think it's indefinite. I think it's well, indefinite means we don't know exactly when it's going to end. So he, it, it's probably correct that it is indefinite. So it might be eight days, but you know it's not going to yeah, be a month. That's fair. You know? Yeah, that's totally I, fair. But I fold this in, Kev, with what's you know the, the reports that came, just came out of China in the last couple of days, where they're they're shutting down everything uh, because of Omicron in, in in China, and there's another another virus that's spreading there, and there's now you know there are starting to be some inklings of well maybe they'll postpone the Beijing. I can't see them postponing the Olympics this late in the game. Um, so I and I, and I don't know whether. The KHL thing is let's get all of our players healthy before we well, send them over to Beijing. I don't it's know. It's only a little bit of that. I got some some real good information here Go that's ahead. not really out there. So, all right. So, like I did report on Twitter, it's for people on the show that don't know, it's 126 players. But what they left out were the personnel, and that makes it like 177. So that's, that's something that's kind of interesting. Um, early on, Salvat had a couple of positive tests, and then I guess they got a few more, but they were tagged with a loss. And that created a lot of hard feelings, and then teams started to get hard feelings against Morozov, who's the president. So I'm not going to say his job's in trouble, but, you know, you know how, you know, Russian yeah. things work, and you know how it works in the KHL. Yeah. He could be in trouble. Um, Siska was, like, at first not even testing. Then they found they had some – problems and they weren't even making those tests available for a while like the the results they were they were not being transparent for a little while and then there's other teams that wanted to do what mike would always say is just soldier on because they feel like now with the other teams missing players they could get points so there's a lot of things going on right now in the khl before the olympic break and i think what they are trying to do is get it under control as much as they can before the Olympic break. But the problem is they don't have a great testing system because not every team is on the same page, like a league, like the NHL. So I think we could learn from that. And they're also, they're also, I mean, they're not, they're not 
they're not on Pfizer and Moderna and uh, Johnson and Johnson. The Russians had their own vaccine, and they, I mean, there's questions of the, of how effective it is. So I, I don't know whether these, you know, whether they imported vaccines from from the West or if yeah, I'm not sure. Oh. But some teams don't even test daily there, right? So. Um, the, so yeah, we'll, we'll sort of well, follow that. Be, that. That leads into uh, you know a thought too. Like we we may not have seen the worst of uh, our COVID situation. You That's know, true. did did I did I hear that Barry Trotz is is down yeah. again? Yes, Barry right. Trotz. Well, yeah, and and the amount of games can, uh, postponed are over a hundred, a hundred. Yeah. Well, you know, I I just saw in the news this morning they were discussing about the. Um, the, the the number of positive cases in San Francisco, which is a well vaccinated area, and the positive rate there is like forty percent. Mm-hmm. And again, you hear people saying, you know, it's almost inevitable that if you go outside, you're going to get it. Yep. You know that the only way to avoid it is to really kind of segregate yourself. And the problem you still have with it is, um, you know, it's not likely that uh, you know NHL athletes who are in their twenties. Are going to get all that sick because they're really healthy individuals, but you still don't know. I, you know, two of my kids, my son-in-law and my son, both had it last week. One had very mild symptoms; the other was very sick. Uh, not go to the hospital sick, but you know, for three or four days, he was. You don't want to be this sick, you know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as far as the players go in the KHL, it was a similar thing to the NHL. They didn't have any big sicknesses. No Most players were asymptomatic. But again, you don't know about the personnel, right? And that's where well, that and, and with, the with, the, with the coaches, what we've seen in the NHL, they've had a harder time. And yeah. I know that players have brought up that, uh, and and I've read and I've also heard from, they're concerned about what they're taking home because um, some of them have uh, immunocompromised yeah. children. Yeah. Some of them have parents that are with them. Um, who have issues and uh, so the kids have gotten COVID. I've seen that on Instagram recently from players who have right. it, how their kids have it. Yeah, and it's uh, there's a lot of hospitals. So, you know, we still could see another wave of this, and uh, mm-hmm. everybody just needs to be patient. And, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody's trying the best they can to sort it all out, but uh, but I still believe we're going to get 82 games in because I think they feel like they got to have 82 games. Yeah, so. and I, I I can't remember where I where I heard it, but uh, it was from a, an authoritative source that the sort of adjusted provisional schedules had been sent to the NHL teams. They haven't been released to the public yet to reschedule the games that have been postponed. Uh, like with Toronto, I think it's eight or nine games. The interesting thing, and I and I'd like to see what the solution to this will be, uh, is teams that didn't miss any games. Say for example, Tampa. What are they going to be? Are they going to be just uh, dormant for three weeks when they they may have to move games that were scheduled for later in the season? They might move a few just to kind of yeah. keep them going. Yeah, right. I mean, they they have to. They can't they can't be just not playing for three. I mean, I'm sure they'd enjoy it because that's a, that'll be a nice vacation, and then then they'll be all all juiced up for the uh, for for the the stretch run and for the playoffs. But I don't. Well, think I'm going to tell you, Mike, what the G, GM keeps telling me every time I bring up these type of things, Kevin. You keep talking in terms of the way we usually do things. We're doing things differently now because there's COVID here. Yes, so we right. can't do the things we normally did. So maybe they will sit dormant for three weeks. Yeah, know, maybe. You know, you know, hey, so. 
And the last thing, uh, the uh, mid-season rankings for from NHL Central Scouting came out. Russ, I'll just read off. Uh, you know, everybody knows Shane Wright will be the is currently ranked as the number one uh, prospect. Logan Cooley is second. Uh, You're reading the North American list, right? No, I'm. Well, this is the. Well, let's just see. No, it's not. No, well, let's see. Savoy is third. Okay. Uh, Connor, all North American, yeah. Connor Geeky is fourth, and Pavel Min, Mintukov. Okay. Um, for Saginaw, but he's from Moscow. So that yeah. must be the North American rankings. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my only difference is I still have Savoy ahead of Cooley, and I'm bullish on Cooley, but I have Savoy second. Um, I haven't put Cooley second yet because I want to see more. I, I, I would think they would want to see more too because we didn't get to see him in the world juniors. I liked what I saw in camp. I liked what I saw before that. He said to me, he didn't have the greatest ball classic. I agree, but I still saw things I liked, but I still want to see him in the all American prospects game on Monday. I don't know. He will, he be in that game. I don't know. Um, I have to look at the rosters, but I do want to see more of him. So that's the whole thing with that. As far as overall, um, well, I'll give you the, the top, guy that I'm going to be dropping. But I'll give you the top five international here. Yeah, Yalkim uh, Yo- Kamel, Yuraj uh, uh, Slavkovsky, yeah, Dan- Danila Yurov, David Yurachek, uh-huh. and Brad Lambert. Well, I can tell you for me, you know, Lambert is at seven, and he still might rise for me. Um, he did look good for what we saw in the friendlies and before the world junior, well, in the world juniors, a little bit of it. Slakowski, I have sixth. I, I really like him. I think he's going to stay there. Um, Yurov's going to be going up for me and, and Miroshenko is going to be going down. Um, Miroshenko is going to go down because I was told Bob Hartley isn't playing him until he's playing the right way. So again, Hartley is an old school guy and he wants his kid to play a complete game and like a lot of young Russian scorers, he's not right now. And so that is something where I've got to keep an eye on that now because that will affect how I how I rank him because I do look at, you know, guys' maturity. And I was told, like, as an example, he's not mature as mature as Chinnikov was. Okay. And so that's why Hartley played Chinnikov. So I have to look at those things. And, you know, as far as his offensive play, it's great. He's, he's the best European offensive player there. Kamel, I, I, I'm differing from that list. I have him 15. I know he can come up on my list, but I didn't see all the same things that a lot of other people are seeing. So I could be dead wrong, but I don't I don't have him that high. But the other guys you mentioned are there. I, I do have um, Leka Ramaki. Uh, I probably just butchered his name from Jew Gardens, but I have him ninth. And I don't know where um, – Central scouting has him. Yeah, this is only a top 10 list, and he's not on the top 10. He's not in their top 10. So, you know, we differ a little bit. So it's early. We'll see how it goes. All right. Great show, guys. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast for Kevin Allen, for Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Luchello. Thank you for watching. And remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. 
change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.